0: On this special episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we visit with the leadership of the Texas Ambulatory Surgery Center Society and discuss current issues in the ASC industry in Texas.
1: Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ascpodcast.com.
0: Welcome to episode 142 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 17th, 2021, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York, and from the Texas Ambulatory Surgery Center Society's 2021 annual conference held at the Hilton Fort Worth on September 21st and 22nd, 2021. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues.
1: So this, uh, first of all, I have to apologize to the state of Texas Mm -hmm. and this state uh, association there, the Texas Ambulatory Surgery Center Society, because it has taken us quite a while to get this episode out. It has been a, a busy time here, and we, mm-hmm. so you and I, uh, after this conference, uh, had two other conferences we went to. So yeah. uh, you've been doing the editing. I've been trying to get the uh, everything together for it, but it has taken us a while. So this was the first conference that I was able to go to in person since February of 2020. Can you believe that's over, over 18 months? And, mm-hmm. and actually, by the way, I was the first time on an airplane since yeah. uh, February of 2020, so uh, quite a quite an experience. It was great to be in person to see so many of the people that we've come to know and and respect over the years uh, in person. It really, uh, you know, it's a big difference between you know watching people on Zoom sessions and mm-hmm. virtual conferences and actually being there in person. And Sue, you were scheduled to go along with me, but unfortunately, we had a client issue. You've Uh, You've been very busy with surveys recently, so uh, you had to stay back and take care of uh, one of our clients who had a survey at the exact same time. So, But I was able to do it on my own. Unfortunately, we didn't have the studio with us, so one thing that you are going to notice... Is that the interview? the The quality of the uh, recording is is actually quite poor, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did the best to clean it up, but yeah. unfortunately, there's only so much you can do when you're using an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And then the other problem is since we a lot didn't of have background a background s- noise because yeah
0: a lot of a lot of people excited to be out visiting <laughs> with everybody, so you could hear a lot of that in the background.
1: Yeah, we were uh, we were actually out in a public area. We didn't, mm-hmm. have, you know, the uh, in Ohio and in New York, which we recorded after that. We had our studio with us, our par- portable studio with us, and we were in a closed-in room, but uh, Here I had my my trusty old iPhone and uh, we did it in a public area, so uh, you'll have to bear with us as we uh, talk to the leaders there. This was the first time by the way that I uh, was able to uh, both speak at the Texas Association meeting and you know be able to record a discussion with uh, leaders of the Texas Association. So uh, we have promised that we're going to do this again and hopefully next year maybe we'll take the studio down with us and have a better quality recording. Hopefully you'll be there with me Sue and I can have a little bit more uh, help in trying to uh, do these interviews. So I was down there to uh, participate in a panel discussion Uh, on a topic that I don't generally talk about, which is uh, marketing in an ambulatory surgery center.
0: So, what did you have to say about marketing?
1: <laughs> Funny you should ask that. <laughs> yes, since, uh, I
0: thought so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, you say this a lot, Sue. That I, you know, you, I could just somebody could just name a topic, and I would yes. talk about it. Even, even if mm-hmm. I knew nothing about it, I would just make it up as I went along. But
0: yeah, this is one of those areas, though, that I, I don't think I have ever heard you talk about.
1: No, and it was interesting, and and uh, you know, we talked uh, a little bit about why you know I was chosen, and part of the reason is because i have been in the industry quite a long time and you know i've seen uh different tactics uh over the years and mm-hmm. so it was interesting uh during the conversation that i actually kind of disagreed uh with some of the other uh panelists who were talking about the importance of a of a uh, social media presence and optimizing your website and and not that i don't feel that that's important but when we talk about marketing an ambulatory surgery center i think one of the biggest things that I I noted is that there's only really two things that we market uh, a surgery center for. You know, one is to bring in new physicians so that we can enhance the number of cases we're doing. And second is to make sure that patients are well aware of our existence and that we provide high quality care so they can feel comfortable coming to the surgery center. But it was an interesting conversation and, uh, you know, a great opportunity to kind of uh, dialogue with other experts in that field to discuss, you know, what we should be doing uh, from a marketing standpoint. So it was uh, it was an interesting speech, and we had uh, quite a number of other speeches. Unfortunately, because we didn't have the studio, or I, I didn't have the studio down there, we weren't able to do other uh, interviews. Uh, but while I was there, I did schedule a number of other interviews that uh, we did in um, Ohio and New York. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll be able to uh, hear some of those speeches in the upcoming weeks. But let's take a short break, and we'll come back, and you'll have uh, our interviews with the uh, leadership of the Texas Ambulatory Surgery Center Association. And again, we apologize about the poor quality of the audio here, but we did the best we could to optimize it. And uh, at least we had an opportunity to talk to people in person there. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central and add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020. Infection Control in Service to Meet the Challenges of COVID-19 and the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the costs of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. So this is John Gale. I'm here with Kim Persley. She's a doctor. She's the president of the uh, Texas Association. Welcome to the podcast, Kim.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to, uh, to be here. I, I think I told you earlier that this is my first time coming to a live conference since uh, the pandemic started. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations to, to, to going to Texas for this. Of course, I'm two other conferences next week, but <laughs> it is great to be live here. It is great. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the state association here in Texas and, uh, you know, what, what great things you're working on. I know you've been extremely active as an association during the pandemic sure. and at the after. I guess we can't say that it's over right now, uh, but, you know, during this whole event.
2: Yeah. So the association over the last 18 months has been an amazing organization to be a part of. We have been so involved, so busy. When our state uh, told us on a Friday that we would not be able to do cases, elective cases in our surgery center, um, we got together over a weekend and came up with uh, procedures that our centers could follow to mm-hmm. help them at one point you know, reopen their doors so we could safely see patients again. So there was a lot of involvement with not, with not only the physician uh, physicians involved with this society, but also with the administrative staff, with with uh, nursing staff, to make sure that we were uh, that we were keeping our patients safe, uh, keeping our employees safe, and you know moving through this pandemic as we've done. And like I said, it's far from over. Yeah, uh, and. I think we've done an amazing job uh, to keep our doors open to keep valuable procedures um, going mm-hmm. where we know in the hospital systems we've been able we've had to uh, curtail,
1: curtail our, those yeah, procedures. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is what do you think is going to happen in the future do you think this is going to happen you know is there a chance that they would shut it down here or what would be your response to that?
2: In the state of Texas, yeah, no. yeah, no, I, 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 think we are. We've learned a lot right. the last eighteen months, and I think one of the lessons learned is that we can safely do procedures mm-hmm. in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we are much smarter than we were yeah. eighteen months ago, and I do not see our Texas state legislature going for it, going for anything that shuts yeah. it down like it did in March of 2020.
1: So. Talk a little bit about some of the changes you've done. You had to cancel, just like most of the state association, you had to cancel your major conferences. Uh, this is your first time back in a year and a half, I think. About uh, you've been, but you've been very active. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you, you've been sitting back doing nothing. You've been doing, uh, you know, virtual conference. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about what you learned through that process and what you think will still continue as yeah. well as things you're going to be doing moving forward.
2: Yeah, so that was actually one of the really encouraging things: the virtual uh, meetings that we had, mm-hmm. uh, the meetings that we had with our, our legislators, with our lobbyists, mm-hmm. with. Um, just updates uh, on infection control that were well attended Mm -hmm. by members and non-members who just wanted to get that additional information so there was a lot of engagement I think there was a hunger Um, there were so many contradictions that were coming out about what we can and cannot do should and should not do that I think many people saw the society as a valuable resource to get that information Mm -hmm. and for that reason there was a lot of virtual engagement right we have a very active board um we have an amazing executive director that keeps us uh on, on your our toes, toes. <laughs> so she she has i mean we pull together and i've been pleasantly surprised by how much we've been engaged
1: yeah so, joining us now is a Dallas uh, Fryer, who is another one of the board members here. And again, we're talking about what you know, how the the state association engaged with the membership during this, and and non-membership, and uh, how you use these new tools that we all learned how to use during the pandemic with the virtual uh, conferencing and things like that. I, you know, I think that the next question is, how do you think, from what you've been doing? even post-pandemic, now that we're going to get back together, what do you think you've learned from it? And what do you think some of those things that you started doing during the pandemic that you're going to continue doing?
2: I can just say as a physician, the challenges that we had early on, uh, we had to change our game. Mm-hmm. And I think we are so much better. And the things with infection control, hand hygiene, these are all things we should have been doing yeah, for yeah. years, um, but I think the pandemic kind of made us realize just how important it is to, yeah. you know, listen to our infectious infection controls folks and know that they're doing, yeah. you know, they are doing their job, and and we have seen just in general. Just fewer fewer people get sick from right. everything across the board. I mean, we had we didn't have people who were out because of the flu because of all the hand hygiene yeah. and masking. So, I think going forward, those measures will serve us well uh, across the healthcare system.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. I'm a surveyor, and one of the things that we've seen we used to say that hand hygiene compliance would be in the 60s or 70s. Uh, and now, if you're in that number post-pandemic oh. or during the pandemic, yeah. you're you're not in good shape at all. So we're seeing those numbers jump because people are really taking it seriously, not only in the surgery center but in their own personal mm-hmm. life. So they've they've helped integrate that into their operations.
3: I think those things have become habit yes. for everyone, and I think patients are also engaged in asking proactively, "What are you doing? How are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Did you did you wash your hands? Those types of things." Right. Um, and, and I think for me, one thing that I saw when we had to close down on visitors, we had to really concentrate on taking care of one patient at a time. Mm-hmm. We got very intentional and very focused with our, with our care during that time, and we've been able to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that has rebuilt that personal connection mm-hmm. with your patients um, when sometimes it can be hectic in a, in a busy time. And especially now opening things opening back up right. and and everyone's so overwhelmed with the continued um, stressors that yeah. we're all facing it really allows us to connect one-on-one with the patients
1: so now you went virtual i know you're doing a, like every two weeks you're doing a, a town hall for example and it has a different topic mm-hmm. each time talk a little bit about that and how uh, that has helped in your engagement with your uh, your membership
2: so the, the town hall topics are, are very timely topics and they're, uh, they're hot topics and they're things that people need to know and want to know more about. The people who are joining have very positive feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is, again, another resource that the society has been able to give to the, the community. I mm-hmm. mean, it really is not something that we're just kind of holding on tight to but it is open for other folks to kind of use as a resource.
1: Right. Where do you think you're heading from here? I mean, are, are those virtual conferences going to continue? Are you, you know, are, have you found uh, some uh, innovative ways to, even moving forward to continue to use that, mixing that in with your in-person conferences?
2: Yeah. I don't know about you, Dallas, but I think virtual is here to stay. Yeah. I, I, you know, it um, is convenient. I mean, the mm-hmm. idea of being able to sit in your car and listen to a uh, virtual meeting for 30, 45 minutes during your lunch, a late lunch, I don't think we want to give that up.
1: You know, I was flying down here. I actually attended a virtual conference on the plane Mm -hmm. uh, with Triple H C. You know, who could have done that? First of all, I wouldn't have even known how to do it, you know. Yeah, I'm not we're one we're of those. much more <laughs> technically now, tech. yeah. aren't
3: we? Um, and I think that it, it allows us, I think they're both aspects are important. I think being able to get together um, with an industry expert mm-hmm. when something comes up yeah. and having that ability to do that almost you know, within a week mm-hmm. is extremely important instead of having to wait, oh, let me write that down, yeah. and mm-hmm. we'll be sure and have that at the next conference. Yeah, It's <coughs> by then. Um, But I do think that it's also important to have the live networking opportunities, um, if for nothing else, than to get out and uh, continued the human connection.
1: Yeah, it's still very hard. Yeah, it's still hard to get. I've enjoyed this conference so much, getting to see people I haven't seen in two years, and uh, I'm sure that's been a great advantage to to you also. Tell us a little bit about the conference and when you put it together, what you were trying to focus on as you were putting the content. I I just did a session on marketing, which is interesting because, first of all, I'd never been asked to talk about marketing before, (laughs) and I can't remember the last time... Somebody talked about marketing at a state conference. You see it sometimes at the yep. federal. But talk about how you, how you chose the different topics that you chose.
2: Well, I'll let Dallas answer that since she was on the committee that organized it. It,
3: it really comes um, out of things that we want to know about ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we're operators. We're um, providers in the, in the ASC industry. And we're very fortunate because we as board members have the ability to interact with our lobby groups. So we're mm-hmm. very in tune with what's going on at the state level. And so we tried to pick topics that are gonna be beneficial for everybody, all of the attendees, things that we wanna know more about, things that we've learned mm-hmm. and that we wanna to spread to everyone else. We wanna make sure that we're maximizing value um, to our members and that we make it worth our while coming out. And we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to ask for feedback um, some of the topics, like infection control, is obviously it's a regulatory requirement mm-hmm. that you have infection control training every year. But it's just everything is changing so quickly,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and we've got to learn to be agile and responsive. And I think that's what this agenda, specifically, even like the marketing. How do yeah. you market now?
1: It's yeah. completely
3: different than it was 18 months ago. Well,
1: and social media has become yeah. much more important. Yeah.
2: You know, and I think the other thing that shaped the meeting is kind of the interaction and feedback that we would get from the different forums and mm-hmm. questions that would be posed on the web side, and um, you know, it kind of kind of grew, I think, organically from there. So these were these are questions that people would kind of throw out and say, "Hey, what are you what are you doing with this scenario?" And I think those are some of the issues that kind of got incorporated into the the meeting in general.
1: So, uh, Elena Fuentes just uh, joined us. Uh, we're kind of doing this spontaneously here. So, as we're sitting here uh, during the conference, people are joining us and and joining in as we go along. Welcome, Elena.
4: Thank you so much for having me, John.
1: So, we're talking about you know how the State Association here in Texas uh, has been reacting to the the events of the last year and a half, and we were just talking about this conference and uh, you know the effort that went into putting it all together and the types of topics you chose. Yeah,
4: you know, I don't want to repeat anything, but. Um, certainly, the, the, uh, the obvious topics at hand, right, how we've been dealing with COVID and infection control.
2: Yeah.
4: Um, how we've been dealing with shutdowns and PPE shortages and, and supply chain issues. But I think for me, the most beneficial um, thing that I've seen now that we're starting to recover from COVID and are really dealing with staffing issues yeah. right now, the most important thing for me was that staff engagement session and and really figuring out how we can boost morale how we can retain employees how we can keep people going mm-hmm. after 18 months of yeah. stress and fatigue and and
1: difficult working long hours long and all hours, yeah. that
4: you know uncertainty um that's that's been really tough on them specifically on my team and mm-hmm. so thinking of ways especially as we come into the last quarter of the year yeah Ways of how we can really boost people up to just make it through the final stretch of this
1: year you know it's interesting during our marketing session I, I never even thought about this until we we got together as a team one of the things we talked about is how do we market I, you, we always traditionally think we're marketing to the doctors we're marketing to um, you know to the patients you know but now we're also talking about um, marketing to potential employees mm-hmm. And joining me now is uh, James uh, McClung. He is uh, also on the board here at the... uh, Texas Association. Hopefully this microphone will pick up all of you, you guys. This is kind of weird everybody just joining in, but it's all right. I was just told to come here. <laughs> <laughs> just following orders. <laughs> I listen to your podcast. Please. Well, thank you. So, what we're actually talking about now is we're just kind of getting a little more granular about some of the things that you've been talking about and things that are are, are pertinent to the state. And we we're just mentioning I was just mentioning that during uh session that I was uh was on, we were talking about marketing. And who would have thought I mean, I've never thought about marketing to potential employees, and yet when that point came up, it became you know very obvious that this is you know especially when we're using social media, when we're using all the new tools that are available to us, that that, uh, that is a, a, another great opportunity uh, you know to get the word out.
4: Well, we've never really had to do that, before. right? Right. I mean, I think there's always. Been enough nurses, enough yeah. rad techs, enough surgical techs to really be able to fill your center. I don't think I've ever experienced uh, a staffing shortage to this extent. Yeah. Um, and so now we have to think outside the box. We have to figure out ways to, especially as an industry, mm-hmm. to differentiate ourselves from hospitals, from you know other places that nurses might want to go to get out of a hospital, right? Um, and show what the benefit is of an ASC. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've seen um, lately is I'm, I've been hiring more people from other industries yeah. other than ASC. They've been coming from ORs in the hospitals. They've been coming from um, uh, even the clinical setting, a clinic setting, yeah. um, or from the bedside in med nursing. So uh, really starting to train people in how we do things in an ASC and bringing new outside Nurses
5: and grad yeah. techs that we haven't seen before. Get some new blood in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, you have to do external marketing, right? Uh, and transparent pricing. This is a conversation for another day. And But internal marketing, I would argue, is more important because that's when you start talking about culture. Uh, Elena and I were actually in a meeting the other day. Uh, it was a meeting of the minds, I guess, of an organization. And uh, the CEO, Brock CEO yeah, uh, he had 14 characteristics of leaders mm-hmm. right and they were very short simple explanations of delegation right the characteristics of the leader mm-hmm. and to internal market that right very nice and neat or uh, you know come up with the committee ideas of how to put that on the wall right and when people see that they want to emulate it they, they mm-hmm. see that they um, it promotes you know, stakeholders to be more invested in the center and um, you know take ownership of experience in
1: the You know, it's interesting you bring that up. We've been uh, talking quite a bit on the podcast and in the virtual conferences we're doing. We're, you know, we started up these uh, boot camps uh, in the last year, which have become extremely uh, popular. And I think, uh, first of all, nobody had ever done it in the industry, but we started because suddenly we're getting a lot of people from the hospitals. We're getting them yeah. from outside of the ASC industry. And they come in here. Yeah, well, let's face it. We know that some of the nurses out there that, you know, that came to the ASCs think, oh, it won't be so tough over in the ASC side right? It, this is where I go when I retire because things will get easier. Well, they learn very quickly that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I've often heard this, you know, when I'm a surveyor, for example, I'm often hearing people say to me, you know, well, we don't have to do that in the hospital. We all know that the hospital has higher standards. Well, not at all. Uh, it, so, it, so talking about that right now, where, where do you feel uh, you're heading in the state with regard to your relationship with hospitals and how you're starting to kind of move cases away from the hospital, as well as, you know, trying to attract those people from the hospitals that um, that you want in your environment now.
2: So I am on staff of one of the area hospitals, and it's been quite frustrating mm-hmm. during this, the last six months because of the start and stops. You yeah. know, you can schedule, you can't schedule, or you can schedule and then you know it gets denied by someone who's reviewing the case and not only frustrating for for me as a physician but extremely frustrating for a patient who is now pushing off a procedure nine months who really needs to have this procedure I've had patients who I would love to bring them to my ASC but for health you know other significant cardiac history and stuff we we feel like they need to be done in the hospital and they are they are begging um, to get these procedures done, and I understand where the hospitals are coming from, but as an endoscopist, we're being told, okay, we can't do procedures because of the risk that they may need hospitalization afterwards. The last time we had to hospitalize a patient after an endoscopic procedure, yeah, three years ago, yeah. yeah. Um, and we are—we're missing. We're gonna, you know, there's gonna be a delay in diagnoses of cancers, and I'm really worried about that.
1: We're already seeing it in some... Yeah. Of, we do a lot of GI centers. We're already seeing an uptick in the number of those yeah. uh, diagnoses. And Dr.
5: Uh, uh-huh. you, you, um, you're spearheading the elective name, right? Are, are you, I know we have talked about it at least a little bit. Of sure. How that name really labels, um, you know, a procedure that might not necessarily be elective. Sure.
2: So, you know, in, in our hospital a screening colonoscopy is considered an elective case <laughs> um, or a non-urgent case and those cases are no longer, we cannot do those for several more weeks until we get clearance, but those are important cases that are not being done
1: it's a bad term it's a bad, it's a term. bad term Yeah.
2: Um, so we are we are getting as many of those folks that we can safely do at our surgeries. And, you know, we've had a group of patients who for years didn't want to come to the ASC because they're like, oh, I want to have my procedure done at the hospital. People want to stay clear of the hospital. They do not want to be anywhere near the hospital. So we have those very COVID uh, afraid folks who Mm -hmm. are wanting to shift everything to the ASC. So, you know, there's been a lot of movement on the part of physicians and, and patients moving cases the hospital systems I think they're still trying to catch up I I think they're still trying to figure out how to do this and although it's been 18 months it's still a struggle I mean every couple weeks we are getting a new email about okay so we're going to we're not going to do this we're going to do that and I think as far as we're concerned once we made changes we kind of stayed on a certain course Um, so yeah so that's where things are with With the relationship that I'm having with with the hospital
1: that I'm affiliated with. Well, one of the arguments I've been making recently is that the role of the hospital is starting to evolve. Uh, Thankfully, you know that we know that the hospital needs to be there. In my hometown, right now, even before the pandemic, we had 95 percent occupancy. You know, there was no built-in fluff. There was no ability. You know, during the flu season, we were over 100 percent. We can never get back to that place where we have to open up more hospitals because and, and, these are going to happen again. Pandemics are going to happen again. Um, and I see that the role of the hospital is starting to change. And perhaps we need to, to find a way to safely shift those cases that you are doing in the hospital, as you said, that probably really don't need to be done there, but because of a regulatory compliance issues or because, you know, surveyors and, and uh, regulators are not comfortable moving those yet, that we need to make a shift in that.
5: And I would also say, though, and I would challenge, especially the independent agencies, that the game is, you know, to push towards the hospitals, right? And the only way that you're going to change that is knowing what you have and what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And right now, especially on the independent side, we are a private industry, right, on the business organization side, and we have not united our resources our our leverage and if we were able to do that I think we would find that our communities, our states our nation would be able to take advantage our work with us on a peer-to-peer level Mm -hmm. of what the room, that, the square footage that we have, yeah. you know, what is an appropriate use of ASCs in an emergency, mm-hmm. right? Uh, being able to push those cases towards an ASC, um, and then how that structure of payment is going to work out, um, equipment, right? But the one thing that I would say that ASCs should not do is they should not wait to have a government agency, mm-hmm. are the way that the, the system is set up now to implement its will on the mm-hmm. AEC industry? Right. We need to unite, and we need to find out and leverage our resources and learn to move Well, and
1: that brings up probably the last thing that we should talk about is what's going on from the legislative standpoint uh, in Texas. Where do you? Where are you now? What are, your, uh, what are you working on, and, and where do you see us moving in the future, particularly in light of what we've just been talking about?
5: So in my stance, uh, we actually have a, um, a, a bill, uh, an emergency management bill. Um, CMS has a regulation where uh, we are required as an ASC industry to uh, be a part of a community tabletop drill, right, mm-hmm. or be a part of the community emergency management. However, here in Texas, um, until, you know, May of or April of 2020, a lot of people didn't really know what an ASE was. Yeah. <laughs> so we were definitely not a part of the Texas Emergency Management System. Yeah. Um, you know, fortunately, um, uh, we've had some experience uh, from um, members working at the hospitals and being a part of the Emergency Management System. So when we were shut down, um, you know, against the against you know, without choice, you know, right? Um, the first thing that we thought of was, well, you know, emergency management is protocols, right? And so, these protocol people, they are, you know, they just open up this big tome of protocols and say, what to do in a pandemic, right? Yeah. And if it doesn't say ASE on there, we're not they going don't even call ASEs, you. right? So, I mean, it's a balance. Uh, we have to educate. Um, we have to... Um, Uh, define. Um, We have to unite. And that is part of what the bill is doing is trying to get a voice for ASCs at the table. We don't want to have every ASC, you know, have a representative in the emergency management, right? But we should have at least a singular person that represents the voice of the ASCs here in Texas, what resources we can have and how we can Provide those resources to the community, especially what do you think your
1: biggest challenges right now in the state uh, from a legislative standpoint?
3: I would say to go along with what you were saying is getting the surgery centers involved mm-hmm. um, and knowing what's going on. Um, in one of the sessions earlier, James, you were talking about how our regulations are being moved. Um, Our rules and regulations are being moved within the administrative code and probably 90% of the surgery centers in the state have no idea that that's going on. And it's up to us as (coughs) surgery centers to tell the state how these changes will impact us, how their vocabulary that they use and their definitions that they use don't apply to us. Mm -hmm. And um, because when a surveyor comes, they're not going to know. They're right. going to say, no, this is what it says, and you're not doing it, so therefore you get to either stop working or give us a bunch of money. And we have to get that message out. Yeah. And so that's really the foundation of what the Texas ASC Society is here for, is to make sure that we get information out to all of, this, all of the Texas ASCs, and hopefully most of them come back and get involved and give us feedback because we represent all of them, Mm -hmm. you know, all of our members and all of the surgery centers that are not members, we're their voice. And I would say, John,
4: I think we're in a good position now in time to do that because this pandemic has brought about all of the, you know, issues and concerns with hospitals um, and cost and, and staffing and, infection control are big issues in hospitals whereas Mm -hmm. an ASC can mitigate some of those a little bit more and we have a little bit tighter control over those right where people before maybe um, didn't know what an ASC was maybe they've heard about them now Mm -hmm. maybe they understand the difference um, between hospitals and ASCs and where they don't our group in particular is working with with our state to go to our legislators and explain the difference Um, so we do you know it's been tough through COVID not being able to do advocacy days but we've Figured out ways around it by doing virtual advocacy days, doing virtual tours um, through, you know, uh, Zoom meetings or even FaceTime yeah. with our legislators, just walking them through a facility. Um, so just opening up their eyes so they understand that there, there, there is a difference between a hospital and an ASC, and that our our administrative code doesn't need to lump ASCs in with hospitals. So we can make different rules and regulations around um, the different
5: abilities that we have.
1: How's your relationship with the uh, Department of Health right now in
5: Texas? So I I think we have a good relationship with them. Honestly, it's not uh, any kind of business speak. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say that they have a lot going on, and I do wish that there would be an increase in communication and response. Right, and I do understand there could be some barriers there, uh, be cut on purpose. Um, However. let's talk it out right let's let's figure out how we can move forward together how can we reduce some of that burden on you so we can have a better environment for the patient and you know sometimes you know just when you have a regulation that comes through and says you know we're changing this or combining this to have access to whatever we want whenever we want to or. You know um, when rules flip flop back and forth between you know one center to the next, right? And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, it, it, it it could be more regulated. Your the the job the, the relationship could be streamlined. However, I think that that's just not in Texas. I think that no, that's is, everywhere. That's a yeah, that's, majority, yeah, that's right? very so, true. But from a personal standpoint, um, we have wonderful people that work there. Rebecca Reed. She's the um, head of the architectural unit, Pamela. Um, she's the uh, head of the licensing division, and we can't do it her.
1: So joining us now is Adam Hornbach, uh, who is also on the board here. And, you know, uh, Adam, we're talking about the legislative uh, issues that are coming up right now. And uh, I'm just going to open up to everybody to talk a little bit about some of the wins and some of the things that are in process right now.
2: So I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier. So The legislative folks in Austin know who we are. (laughs) And a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go to an event where there was a Texas state representative there. And I went and I introduced myself. And she's like, oh, I know about you guys. So that actually said a lot that someone knows who we are and they value what we're doing. Yeah. Um, And I was like, oh, Okay, so it felt really good to know the word is out, mm-hmm. it is working. Yes, yeah. it is working.
1: So what if, uh, what, what has happened here? You know, what are some of the, uh, the initiatives that are,
6: that are kind of hot? So right now we are uh, pushing for a surgical smoke bill. Um, it got bogged down uh, this last session, so I think that that'll be revisited this next session. Um, everybody's on board with that and I, I think that'll be positive
5: um, um so. we've made some wins uh with the texas department of insurance when it comes down to uh balance billing okay right and arbitration with that as well um
6: we were talking about um that i brought up to the team is the, the asc lobbied hard when covid shut everybody down okay. one of the things that the the RAC and and the emergency response systems wanted to do was they wanted to shoot us their ICU patients, their Mm -hmm. overload ICU patients. Well, that's something that the Texas ASC Society lobbied hard to make sure and get in front of the governor and get in front of our representatives to stop that. Mm -hmm. So that never happened here, and that was, I think, in big part because of the lobbying effort that we put forth. So...
1: And lastly, you know, just kind of talking about where your, uh, you, what you're trying to do to recruit new members, the, the benefits of membership in the association. Um.
6: Absolutely, being an advocate for the ASC Society, I think, is one of the biggest uh, that we can see. Um, we constantly are looking out for our ASC brethren, for you know, as far as legislative things that are coming down the pike to catch them before. They, you know, instead of after and right. trying to fix be it, be proactive. Be uh, proactive. Get in front of our representatives, and you know, stop nonsense that will either hinder patient care, you know, and unnecessarily regulations that are unnecessary, or maybe something that does need to be necessary.
5: Absolutely, we have a very uh, I wouldn't say super large, but we have a large, um, you know, showing on social media. Um, a, as Adam would say, like and share. <laughs> he
6: made that up. And you stole my line. Yeah, I, was giving I posted you quite that. a bit to your LinkedIn page. That's so trademark I know. infringement, right there. <laughs> <laughs> we
5: did. He did.
6: Wow. I had to give you
5: credit because <laughs> it was brilliant and so yeah. simple. But, um, you know, uh, uh, consistently we are either, you know, between one and three between uh, CASA and ASCA mm-hmm. uh, when it comes down to uh, new likes uh, on our LinkedIn page, um, Twitter page, Facebook. Um, and the only reason why I know that is because we have an outstanding team, the best, yeah. when it comes down to Jennifer, Krista... Courtney, our lobbyist, Um, Taryn, Taryn, yeah, um, the most amazing team. That we're very gelled, and um, I think that when we get together, we certainly like to uh, argue appropriately.
1: Well, and I got to say, uh, also on behalf of the podcast, we uh, we do track statistics. uh, You know, sometimes between twenty-five and thirty percent of. Of our listeners come from Texas now, of course, you're Really big. You're a little bit big uh, here, <laughs> a but uh, big. yeah, but you're well. And of course, we engage with you also on uh, LinkedIn. You know, you're absolutely. Uh, we we uh, cross pollinate a, a lot there. Uh, but uh, we would encourage. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link on our uh, show page for this to uh, people to sign up. And uh, so, when's your next conference? Well, Live
6: one.
4: We, we may. Uh, I guess we need to talk about our winter infection control conference. Is mm-hmm. actually somebody else asked me about that earlier. They said, "Are you still doing that?" Mm-hmm. So you know, we gonna...
6: generally try to do two a year. We try to do an infection uh, one and then our annual. Yeah. No, okay. Right. Yeah. And so, it's it, has it been set yet or
4: not? not yet. Okay. Our, our
6: timing is off because we did an infection one this year already. A so one. Yeah. Right. So our timing is kind of off. So I'm not. Yeah. Well, I'll get the information from Kristen. We'll we'll make sure that yeah. we post.
3: And... But we'll have a town hall in two weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry. So every two weeks you have this town hall. What day? Uh, what day of the week is it? It's a Thursday, Thursday, Thursday afternoon. Thursday.
3: They're short and First sweet, two to two, 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 two. thirty.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's for members. That's correct. Yes.
5: Now, members. if if you're not a member mm-hmm. and you are a Texas ASC, please reach out. Please Google it because you will be able to attend. We want you to see the benefit yeah. of the hard work that our team is doing. Um, it, the the um, content expert for that topic is um, you know, a leader of the, the te- A-Texas ASC and um, will be able to help um, and is there for you to um, as a resource, as a tool. So uh, please take advantage of that. I
2: think part of the... Uh, we, I think our, we have a, our membership is great, and I think part of the reason why we may not have more members is that I think the, the society has done such a great job moving in the background.
1: Yeah. yeah. People
2: don't realize all the moving parts and what is taking place to get.
1: And who was who responsible? Who's responsible?
2: It. Yeah. You know, um, right. and so having folks that think non-members mm-hmm. come to virtual town halls is actually, I think, really helpful. Right. Um, so they can see, oh, this is all the stuff that they're doing mm-hmm. to kind of move the agenda forward. So yeah, and there's so, a
3: great forum on our website where anyone can go in and ask questions, questions yeah. and get directed to what is available or get linked up with. Um, the appropriate person to to help them work through their issue
1: well thank you so much for inviting me out here it's been a pleasure to be out here uh i've already uh, told you i'll be back next year and it is a pleasure to to uh, to work with uh, uh such a great group of people here and dedicated people so on behalf of uh, uh all of our listeners thank you for all the work that you do thank, thank you, john. you. Thank you. I appreciate, appreciate it. it thanks john it. so this is john gill i'm here with susan cheek uh who is uh, with Dallas and Dosky Center and a former uh, president of the Texas Association and uh, you are like I am a CPA so we did the secret handshake that nobody else knows about uh, you know before we started the interview here but Susan welcome to the podcast I'm sorry that you missed the uh, the rest of the crowd but you mm-hmm. have some unique skills and a unique perspective from being the media past president so first of all let's start by how has this organization changed since you you know were there I one of my favorite stories is that my favorite title is immediate past present.
7: Oh, that's right.
1: <laughs> so you probably enjoying that, enjoy that, especially during the pandemic. So talk a little bit about how the organization's changed in the last couple of years since you were president.
7: Um, well, we have really have a much bigger social media presence. Um, we've partnered with a, a very good um, firm that is our, our lobbying firm that has a uh, very much depth to it. So besides representing our issues for us legislatively, um, they also have a very uh, deep uh, bench, I would say, of people that help us out as far as um, our social media presence, um,
1: mm-hmm.
7: it, you know, all the way to whenever uh, the legislature is in session, tweeting out what's going on that day. In real time. Uh-huh, in real time. And, uh-huh, yeah. in real time and, um, and then tracking for us, you know, all the hits that we have to our various uh, websites, what different topics are trending, Mm -hmm. Um, we really did not have a big uh, media or, you know, social media footprint, and now we do across uh, quite a few different uh, realms, so, Um, and they do a a monthly meeting with us, you know, they come to our monthly board meeting and give us an update, so we can really see what things we're doing that's working and not, and... Do like a really a weekly recap to all of our members to show what's trending on the different social sites. So that's been really good.
1: That's great. Now you're also uh, you come from the financial side uh, Mm -hmm. here. We were talking just before we uh, turned the microphone on Mm -hmm. here as to some of the uh, challenges in Texas right now from a financial standpoint. So you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about some of the things that are that are going on that you know kind of affect everybody from a financial standpoint.
7: Okay, so. I think that um, with the transparency laws that are coming down, I think both at a state level and federal level, we should be lobbying for more transparencies from the insurance companies mm-hmm. about what coverages patients have. While benefits are available online, they're not all we need to know as a provider on really how much it's going to wind up costing a patient. For instance, a, a screening colonoscopy. You know, do they have screening benefits? Yeah. These are not things that are readily returned to us. Um so if the insurance companies um, were legislatively made to put a patient's whole coverage out there um, and return it, that would be very beneficial. And also they have to keep their records more up to date of who is eligible. So a patient may have coverage one month and not the next, but the insurance is lagging and updating that. So you may verify, I think the patient has coverage, find out later they did not have coverage during that time period. Now patients are mad. So I think that um, those are things that as these transparency bills are being passed that we need to be pushing back that, well, transparency needs to come from both sides because our information to the patients is only as good as the information the insurance companies give us. So that's one. I guess, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we just... uh, Come through quite a few different challenges, you know, being shut down on uh, elective procedures that, you know, financially impacted a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And um, being able to, uh, if you had a really good relationship with your banker, so that it was easier to file for PPP loans, um, I think that's a very good thing lesson to be taught here because we don't know what's going to continue to happen. And I think that people need to. Um, have good relationships with their bankers and things so that when these PPP loans come out, they can find out what they do qualify for and even what's out there.
1: And react pretty quickly to it as opposed to being reactive to it. Right.
7: And make sure that you're taking it out or you're using it in a way that you'll be forgiven so you won't owe it back. Uh, The same thing with the HHS uh, monies that came, and now we're in an attestation period for that. And there's a, you know, if you... Really need to know how to uh, do your attestation so that you don't have to pay it back, you know. Right. Um, and don't
1: forget, those of you that are listening before the end of September, the September deadline is, is coming up. I know that there's a little bit of a grace period there, but mm-hmm. don't go too far into that grace exactly. period. Exactly. goes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah. And um, so, and then um, other areas was... Uh, insurance coverage so mm-hmm. we here in texas we had winter storm uri in february that shut most everybody down for a week for mm-hmm. a large part of texas and uh, insurance for that so uh, business interruption insurance mm-hmm. um you know initially our business interruption insurance uh, denied us because they said well you weren't shut down for because you didn't have property damage so usually business interruption insurance is if you had damage occur. to your but um so i've Pushed back there and um, said, "Well, we could not be open because our generator would not run. Mm-hmm. And by law, we have to have that. And because it went up and down, it truly did uh, tear up our air conditioning system and our computer system. Wow. And so we were able to successfully get loss of revenue for that week, and mm-hmm. also um, for our equipment that was damaged." And, And that was a a good thing. And um, so I guess what I'm trying to say there is you need to really look at your insurance coverages. Mm -hmm. And even for during the pandemic, a lot of people's insurances said they don't cover for a microorganism. But there's a lot of lawsuits going on right now that people need to be watching. And I'm watching. And um, if if those go in our favor, then you know that. So there there is some of that going on, too.
1: What do you think the future is for... Amatory surgery centers in Texas right now from a financial standpoint, is this a good time to be starting a surgery center?
7: I believe so, because I see with the payers, they seem to, after all this time, they seem to start to want to be our, our friend. Yeah. Um, they're starting to wake up that we are a higher, high quality, you know, lower cost. Right alternative to the hospital and accessible and hospitals are great. So I'm not, you know, uh, doubting the hospital at all, but the, I've seen more and more payers driving their patients towards ASCs and I'm seeing more payers uh, want to uh, contract more favorably uh, with the ASCs.
1: Well, I think that, you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, uh, hospitals have a a very important role um, and perhaps that role isn't necessarily doing, I don't like this term, elective surgery, but, mm-hmm. you know, doing uh, procedures that uh, can be done safely elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know, save the, sur- the hospital for, for more critical cases, save the hospital for those times when we really need to link care. Mm-hmm. pandemic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we, as an industry, have come into uh, mm-hmm. the big time, really, during this time, as people are realizing we are the solution.
7: Right. And the whole, you know, hospitals, are, I guess, the, without borders are the walls, yeah. I guessing. Where they convert yes. to a
1: hospital temporarily.
7: Yes, um, the ASC is very well aligned to, to do this as well. And I know there's many in our state who's had success at that. Um, and one of the things, to your point, is, you know, the hospitals are, are seeing the COVID patients. They're seeing the very sick. And um, for that reason, it kind of makes the asc's a little bit safer from that standpoint too because we're screening out for COVID. we're not trying to treat COVID patients and so it does make it maybe a a safer uh, area for that as well
1: well why take the chance Mm -hmm. you know i mean if you have another option and it's a high quality option why take Mm -hmm. the chance those hospitals they have a very important role and we need to keep them available Mm -hmm. You know, for those critical cases, and there's always going to be cases that we're not going to be able to do in the surgery center. Mm-hmm. There's a high likelihood that right. the patient's going to have to stay overnight, mm-hmm.
7: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, Susan, it's been a great uh, pleasure mm-hmm. speaking to you here. Thank you so much for joining me.
7: Thank you for having
0: me. <laughs> we would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ascpodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development, All Rights Are Reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at